Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Oh man, it's going to be a great week. I, um, yesterday I did a wedding for some friends that were across the street, that moved in across the street from us uh, about a month before we moved in actually. And she's Chinese Canadian, he's Texas American, and it was a beautiful wedding. As I was thinking about doing, thinking about their wedding, I was thinking about all the weddings I've done um, through my career. I've done about 35 weddings throughout my career, and I try to keep up with all my couples. And as far as I can tell, all but three of them are still together. So that's better than 90% success rate. I think I'm doing all right as a pastor, yeah. I mean, tell all your single friends I'm available. I will help them out, we'll make this work. I love uh, doing weddings. I love speaking some life and some love and laughter into the wedding ceremonies. I love giving dating advice and marriage tips, all these things. I think. I like giving dating advice because, like, because I'm a Christian. Christians really like to meddle into people's dating lives a little bit, maybe for good or for bad. But I think it's kind of part of who we are. I like to say that as Christians, we have a duty to lead and walk with people through the biggest changes in their lives, through life changes, right? So that's part of our job is to love people through the changes that they're going through in their lives. And relationship status changes are some of the biggest changes that people go through. And so Christians from the very get-go have had a lot to say about dating, marriage, divorce, relationships, all these things. Now, I don't think that that's inherently a bad thing, but sometimes, Christians start to think that they know absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what God wants when it comes to dating, what God wants when it comes to marriage, what God wants when it comes to divorce, all these things. Christians can sometimes be so sure of themselves of what God wants that they kind of forget to check in with God from time to time to see what God is really thinking, right? Sometimes we can be so proud of our beliefs and what we think we know that we don't humble ourselves and say, God, am I on the right track? Is this the right story that you want to tell? And you say, well, pastor, it's written in the book. It doesn't change, right? It's right there in the book. Does God's word change? Does what God want for our dating and marriage lives ever change? It's written in the book. And I would say, yeah, it is written in the book. And yes, the words on the page, they don't change. They're there. It's canonized. But does the Bible always say the same thing? I would challenge that a little bit. Ted read for us two different scriptures written by the same person, written by Paul, one out of 1 Corinthians and one out of 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, hey, interreligious relationships, no problem. If both parties are cool with it, If the husband believes and the wife doesn't believe, but they're cool with it and they can live at peace with each other, there's no problem here. If the wife believes and the husband doesn't believe, but they're they're cool with it, they can live at peace with each other, not a problem. I want people to live in peace. If one needs to leave, let them go. That's okay too. Paul is very cavalier and egalitarian when it comes to marriages in 1 Corinthians 
But then we turn over to 2 Corinthians, and what do we see Paul say there? It says, do not be tied up in equal partnerships with people that don't believe. Whoa. Well, which is it? Is it do not be in interreligious relationships? Or is it interreligious relationships are fine? Try saying interreligious relationships three times fast. I think I'm doing okay this morning. We have found what seems to be a contradiction, not just in the Bible, but in the same author. So what do we do when we come across these contradictions in Scripture? Well, I think we have to take a step back and look at what Scripture is in general. Scripture is not the Word of God that has just fallen out of the sky, perfectly formed just for our ears, just for our lives like this. No. Scripture is better than that. Scripture is a patchwork quilt of testimonies. Pat scripture is a collection of words, of poems, of philosophy, of history, of laws, of rules, of letters. Remember, 2 Corinthians is just a back and forth letter, a collection of letters between Paul and this church. Paul never intended them to, uh, to become scripture. If he knew that we were reading them 2,000 years later in church, he might have cleaned up some of these contradictions a little bit, right? It is a patchwork quilt of testimonies, of people's experiences with God throughout time, and it is diverse. There is a diversity of views, of beliefs, of instructions that happen in scripture. And sometimes we want to ignore that diversity and say, no, it's all, it's all one thing. It says one thing, it's the same thing. It's just not the case if we read it carefully and honestly. There is a diversity in Scripture. And this was not a problem for the early Christians. No. The early Christians knew, knew about the diversity. They knew that all four Gospels tell the resurrection story in very different ways. Some having one angel, some having two angels, sometimes the angels are on top of the rock, sometimes they're inside the rock, sometimes there's one woman at the tomb, sometimes there's many women at the tomb. The early Christians knew about the diversity in the way that the Gospels were telling the story. And rather than saying, this is the right way, ignore the others, they said, it all belongs. They left the diversity in the scriptures. And for the early church, this wasn't a problem. And sometimes they leave stories and ideas and instructions in tension. Sometimes they try to resolve them and harmonize them together. It wasn't a problem for the early church like it is for some Christians today who want to demand that there are no contradictions in the Bible. That's a losing argument. There are contradictions, and it's okay. And I think it's beautiful. So... As Christians, when we come across things that seem to conflict with one another in the scriptures, we have to do some work, right? We have to determine, can we harmonize these things? Can we make these things agree with each other, even in their diversity? Or do we leave them in tension with each other? That's, what, that's the work that we have to do as Christians as we read these scriptures. So that's what we're going to do today with 1 Corinthians interreligious relationships, no problem, and 2 Corinthians, interreligious relationships, big problem. We're going to talk about how we understand how these scriptures work together. The first thing we have to do, we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians first. What we have to do is read scripture in context. What does that mean? It means um, to not take any one Bible verse on its own, but we have to see what's the context of this word. Some people say, 
take, you know, read it in context. Read the three chapters before it and read the three chapters after it. Then you've read it in context. <laughs> we gotta do a little bit better than that. To read scripture in context, we have to know the thesis of a particular book of the Bible. All 66 books of the Bible have a direction, have a main point, have a thesis. And so we have to learn the thesis of 1 Corinthians first, and then we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and say, how does this instruction help or support that thesis? So, as you all know, the first uh, the thesis of 1 Corinthians is, no? Love. Say love. love. Perfect. Great job, everybody. Okay, so this is the problem that's happening in 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians have heard the, the message of Paul that in Christ we're free, that the law doesn't bind us down anymore, that God has forgiven our sins and we are free. And so some of the Corinthians thought this meant, well, we're free to do whatever we want, right? Some are sleeping with temple prostitutes, some are eating meat forbidden, um, or eating forbidden meat sacrificed to idols. Some women, get this, are speaking in church without their hats on. Woo! Oh my, right? And so then they say to Paul, Paul, give us some rules. Like, how do we live together? What do we do with all this information? And they say, Paul, give us a new law. Tell us the rules. And this is what Paul is loath to do. Because as Paul understands what God is doing, God is not a God who says, this is the plan, get on board or get off. No. Instead, God has opened up a new reality where it's not all about living by the letter of the law. It's about love and relationship. Paul gives the people principles to live by, some Christian morality based on principles. He says, I'm not going to give you new rules to follow, but let's live by these values. Imitating Christ, caring for the community, envisioning a new creation together. These are our values. And the principle that will guide all of our actions is love. And for Paul, the reason why it's important to not give a new law or a new set of rules is because for Paul, love does not control. Love does not control. He says so in 1 Corinthians 13. He says love does not insist on its own way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things. I like the way the Common English Bible translates it. Love puts up with all things, right? It doesn't control. It puts up with us. It listens to us. It endures. Love is faithful. Love never ends. For Paul, God who is love is not a God of control. It's not a God who says, this is the train track, this is, what we're, this is where we're going, if you fall off, get back on the tracks. In fact, when Paul reads the Old Testament, he doesn't see a God like that either. When Adam and Eve, they mess up, they leave the Garden of Eden, God's plan is not, okay, how are we going to get these kids back in the garden? No. Instead, when they fall off the tracks, tracks, when they forge a new trail, God instead goes with them down that trail. God works with them. There's not a one path that we have to get back on. There's not just one story that God is writing, but God works with us in building and creating this life and creating this world. 
In fact, I think that this is the God that Jesus demonstrates. Jesus Christ demonstrates that God is a God of cooperation and consent. Think about how Jesus lived in this world and how he came around. He invites people into a relationship. He invites the disciples to come and learn from him. He says to those that are unwell or that need help, what do you want me to do for you? He says to blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus in, I think, uh, Mark chapter 10, um, there's a blind man that's crying out for Jesus to help, and his friends are like, hey, quiet down. He, he doesn't have time for you. And Jesus goes and finds the blind man, and he goes up to him, and he says, hey, man, what would you like me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? What, what is Jesus doing? Why would he ask that question? Why doesn't Jesus see a blind person and just zap him, get him done? It's because Jesus is all about cooperation and consent. He invites the blind man into this healing moment. What would you like to do? Because your desires and your will matter to God. Blind man says, I would like to see again. And Jesus says, you got it. Let's do this together. Jesus does this over and over again. The 5,000 people skipped lunch. The disciples said, Jesus, we got to send them away. We don't have enough food for all these people. And Jesus says he could have, right? He could have done anything. He could have snapped his fingers and have everybody have bread or whatever. I don't know. Instead, he invites the disciples to help join in the solution. He says, well, why don't you guys do something about it? Let's, do, let's solve this problem together. And the disciples are like, we can't do that. And a boy goes, I've got some food. I've got five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Will this help? And Jesus is like, this boy knows what I'm talking about. This is the cooperation and consent that's going to change the world. And he takes those bo that boy's lunch and he feeds 5,000 people. The night before Jesus gives himself for our sake, he gathers his disciples together and he says to them, servants don't know their master's business, but I don't call you servants. You are my friend. We are partnering together in making this world right. Your ideas, your beliefs matter. He says after the resurrection to the disciples, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's a weird thing to say, but here's what it means. What you do and decide matters. You have a say in how this world is going to go. I want to partner with you. God is not the one who lays down the railroad tracks and every time we fall off, God says, get back on the track. No, God is walking with us in this world, partnering with us saying, hey, would you like to go down this trail? And if we say no, God goes, I really think you should go down this trail. And we're like, no, 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 I really like this trail over here. God says, okay, we're a partnership. I'm going to go with you. And later on, I'll say, I told you so, but I'm still going to go <laughs> with you. God partners with us. When we make mistakes, God doesn't say, get back on track. God says, I'm with you. And where do we go from here? What do we do next? This is the, 
the concept, the idea of God that Paul carries into 1 Corinthians. And so let's apply this to our marriages and our relationships. Paul says, if one of you believes and the other doesn't believe, but you're cool with it, then love is our principle. Consent and cooperation is our principle. If you guys can love each other and stay together, why create discord? Stay together. Who knows what God can do through this marriage? Who knows what God can do through you for your spouse? If you're fine together, stay together. What you care about matters. Likewise, Paul says, use your brain. If it's not working out, if it can't work out, and you need to separate, that's okay too. God understands. Now, as a pastor, oh man, I care about vows. I care about promises. And I don't treat them willy-nilly, anything goes kind of thing. If we make promises, let's hold to those promises. But are there cases and times and moments when a divorce is the best path forward? Absolutely there is. There's not a single rule for all relationships, marriages, and divorces. Instead, God is working with us through those things. It's a partnership. It's cooperation. So, that's what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What's happening in 2 Corinthians then? It seems like Paul is laying down a rule and saying, no, no interreligious relationships. Do not be equally yoked with one another. This is what I heard all through my growing up in youth group and all these things. I was told, the Bible says, do not be equally yoked with unbelievers. You better not date somebody that's not a Christian, right? Is that what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians? What's the thesis? What's the main idea in 2 Corinthians? No, it's Paul, right? <laughs> Paul is the main idea in 2 Corinthians. It's, it's a back and forth discussion with the Corinthians and they're criticizing who he is and so he's giving defense for who he is, right? Paul, is, Paul has started this church and then he's moved on and he's writing letters back and forth. When Paul left the church, they're there left a leadership vacuum. And it was an opportunity for other people to come over and take over this church. People who believe differently about Jesus or people who don't believe in Jesus at all. People who saw an opportunity to come in, be a leader, and tell people what to do. This is the dilemma that Paul is facing. And so he says to the church, what do we have to do with those people? Why would we allow a leader who doesn't believe like us to come in and be the leader of this church? Why would we allow somebody who does not play by the principles of cooperation and consent come over and take over this church? Don't do that. Why would we bind ourselves together with a leader like that? Oh man, churches, we're still tempted to bind ourselves to leaders who have the single solitary vision, who say, this is my way, no other way, right? That's not God's, that's not God's example, that's not God's hope for Christian leadership, right? God's invitation to partnership is the model, the example for leadership in a community. And so, as the pastor appointed here by the bishop, if I came in here and I said, changing everything my way or the highway, you should call the bishop. Because <laughs> that's not the model for leadership, right? 
Paul is saying that to the first Corinthians. It would be really strange for Paul to have this dialogue back and forth with, with the Corinthians about his status and then to say, oh, and by the way, don't date anybody who doesn't believe. Now let's get back to the topic at hand, right? When Paul says do not be tied up with people who don't believe, he's not talking about dating relationships. He's talking about leaderships in the community. And I think we have to take um, his instructions uh, pretty seriously there. Who do we accept as leaders in our community? Who will guide our church, our family? Is it somebody that will be guided by the principles laid out in 1 Corinthians and in the Gospels? Somebody who follows and lives like Jesus, who offers partnership, friendship, and consent? Or are we going to invite somebody who spurns all those ideas in favor for themselves? That's what Paul is getting at here. In any case, the scripture invites us to use our brains, to use our wills to care about our lives, and to partner with God in creating our lives and this new world. When I was uh, 16 years old, I was in high school, and I had a crush on a girl in high school. And uh, her friends talked to my friends, talked to me, and said that <laughs> she's not going to date anybody because she's a Christian. And I thought to myself, I'm a Christian, she'll date me, right? So I asked her out on a date, and we went out on a first date, surprised all her friends and all of our friends that she would go out on a date with me. And on that first date, she brought a book, and um, she slid it across the table, and before we go on a second date, she wanted me to read this book. It's a pretty high bar for a second date, right? <laughs> the book was called When God Writes Your Love Story. And so I, I took that book home, and uh, I admit, I'll, I skimmed it. <laughs> but I got the gist. I got the gist. The gist of the story is that Christians should not date, that God has already written your love story. God has already written your story. It's been written from the foundations of the earth. And so your job is just to listen to God, and God will let you know when the right person is there, and then you marry them, like that, right? So I was like, okay, I get the hint, right? This is... So we go on a second date, and she says, did you read the book? I said, yeah, I read the book. And she says, so what do you think? And I said, I understand, I understand. It's not going to work out. Um, you know, let's, let's stay friends. And she goes, no, 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 no. I think you're the one. <laughs> I was 16 years old. I was like, I'm not the one. <laughs> and so I think that she was wrong about that. But more than that, I think that she was wrong, in that this book is wrong, that God doesn't write our story before we were born or anything like that. I think a better picture of God would be that God co-authors our story with us, that God passes the pen over to us and says, what would you like the next chapter to look like? I care about you. I care about your ideas and your will, and let's write this thing together. That's our God. So, there aren't hard and fast rules, dating, marriage, divorce, these things. But God wants to partner with you through everything in life. You are never alone. A couple of questions as we think about these things. The, um, 
And I hope that the, these questions kind of spur another conversation as you move forward in your faith and in your thinking. The first one is, are, it, does the diversity in scripture pose a problem for your faith? Hmm. I think for some people it can. It can feel like, oh, why does it seem like all the letters by Paul emphasize faith over works? And all these letters by John and James emphasize the need for works. There's a diversity in scripture. And the early Christian says it all belongs. What do you do with the diversity in scripture? Um, the second question is when is the church tempted to forsake freedom for more rules? Oof. Let's move along. The, set, the third one is where else in your life do you see the struggle between control and consent? How do we more model who Jesus is that invites people into friendship, invites people into their own healing, listens to their story, and listens to their truth? This is who our God is. A God who is always with us, a God who listens to us and cares about what matters to us. And what you do, what you think, what you choose matters to God as well. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.com. Dot org, or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.